from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the official podcast of the Archdiocese. Here now your moderator, Public Affairs Director Taylor Henry. Joining me by telephone for this edition of Catholic Military Life from Marine Corps Base Quantico is Father Lieutenant Curtis Dwyer. Father Dwyer, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, my pleasure. And uh, so uh, walk us through a day in the life of a Catholic chaplain at Marine Corps Base Quantico. Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, one of the great things about being here is that the days every day is different. So, but uh, but no, we're uh, I work at the uh, at the basic school, uh, which is the school through which all newly commissioned Marine Corps officers uh, pass, regardless of what their eventual their eventual MOS or what their eventual job is. So, uh, they all receive six months. Usually, it's six months of uh, inf- infantry training, uh, so that they can develop their leadership and uh, character as leaders uh, for the Marine Corps. So, um, but so I'm in support of that. And so, uh, typically, when I when I get to, get to the office, I I do normal things like check email, but then quickly transition into um, whatever happens to be going on in the during the day. It's a very dynamic environment with different companies at different stages in their in their in their march through their six months here. So it's always it's always, it's always different. Daily mass, I take it. Yep, every day. Uh, that's the one thing that I try to keep uh, as a constant, and that's daily mass. But I have to switch that around uh, at times as well. Now you're a Navy chaplain, correct? Correct. How yep. does the How does the Navy and the Marines go about deciding which of the Navy chaplains serve the Marines? Well, um, the Navy actually wants its chaplains to have a variety of assignments. So they will, they will be looking to keep somebody or to, to rotate people, especially in their, you know, the earlier part of their, their time in the chaplain corps, uh, to different assignments. And so, for example, before this, I was on an aircraft carrier, uh, which is obviously a very Navy kind of assignment. And now I'm here, and my, I have orders from or my uh, my next assignment will be again with the Marines out in California. So uh, the Navy will try to get most of its chaplains, if if possible, if there are billets, uh, to have different experiences, including with the Marines. Give us a little information on your background. Where are you from? How did you discover your vocation? How long have you been on active duty? Yeah, so I'm from I'm a priest of Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Aurora, and um, attended the Colorado School of Mines out there, which is an engineering uh, science and engineering school. And it was during my senior year there that I first kind of had the the sense of call, uh, what might have been a call to the priesthood. I grew up Catholic, but never considered being a priest. Never had the thought had never uh, consciously at least entered my mind at all. Uh, but I went uh, went to mass one Sunday with uh, some of my college roommates, and I remember thinking, uh, uh, you know, that they had a program where if, if you knew a young man who was who you thought, you thought would uh, make a good priest, you're supposed to submit his name and phone number, 
And uh, and I thought, well, I should put my name down. And I thought, well, that's sort of a strange thought. Here I am getting ready, getting ready to graduate engineering school. Um, but that's the first time I'd ever consciously kind of showed up. And then uh, I ended up uh, graduating, getting a job, getting a, a, a very good job, which I liked very much. Uh, but that thought was always there, always there, always there. So finally I, I quit and had to go check it out. How old, were, the, what, how old were you when you entered the seminary? Uh, 26. And where was that? That was, um, that was I started going to Kenrick Seminary in, uh, Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis. I see. Did you have any trouble persuading your bishop that uh, military service was for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. That was, um, uh, so that was sort of the second. So while I was in the seminary, uh, that I first met a, uh, he was a Navy recruiter, and I had never even really thought, you know, if, I, if I'd ever considered priesthood, I had much less even considered uh, becoming a chaplain. But, but that kind of, again, that was sort of a seed-planting moment. And then over time, it really kind of seemed to, to, to be there, to be there. And, uh, and so after a couple years, I started to ask my diocese and was flatly turned down. Um, and, but then I sort of just kept up the steady, steady drumbeat, uh, steady pressure, you could say, uh, requesting this. And I think finally my, uh, the archbishop, who was archbishop at the time, I think he, I think he said, okay, this, is, this, this might be of the Holy Spirit, and he, he let me go. And who was the archbishop at that time? That was Archbishop Charles Chaput. Now in Philadelphia. Correct. And uh, I, I'm sure that uh, Denver, like uh, uh, all other dioceses and archdioceses around the country, have a, a shortage of priests, and you, you can certainly understand the bishop's reluctance, but at the same time, it's imperative that, uh, that we uh, see more priests coming into the military because of the shortage. And exactly. I'm, I'm sure that you have experienced firsthand uh, the consequences of that shortage. Can you share some stories about that? Well, no, that's a, it's, it's a great, a great point. Um, so like you say, dioceses everywhere have their, their shortages and their, their, their difficulties in filling their own billets, so to speak. Um, and that's, and that's understandable. And in the, but in the military, you're dealing with very, very young population, young, uh, young adults, and they're typically making decisions. You know, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're needing baptism. Uh, some of them are asking questions, especially if they're under a high pressure, high pressure or high uh, danger kind of situation. And man, to have a priest there can make all the all the difference. I can tell you that uh, I've met several lay leaders or who represent other faiths um, who are former Catholics. And very many of them, you know, uh, made the decision to transfer, you know, go, go to a different faith different direction while they were in the military. And I think a lot of times be, uh, because there was no uh, priest there. So I think it, it can, especially when they start asking questions, if you don't have a priest, if you don't have someone there to kind of represent the faith and to administer the sacraments, that can have a very long, long-lasting effect. Do you find yourself overworked? Um, I find myself with plenty to do. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, but I wouldn't say overworked. It's not. It's it's a fantastic life. I would say uh, it's a very target rich environment, so to speak. Um, and I enjoy it immensely. There's plenty to do. That's that is absolutely the case. But I don't feel uh, overburdened, overstressed, or or uh, uh, over overwhelmed in any way. The military, just like society at large, is confronting increasing secularization. Have you found this uh, to be so in in uh, your experience with the Navy and the Marines? And uh, how do you respond to it? Well, you have, I suppose, two you know secularization on two different tiers. One would be sort of the official or top down um, secularization, and then maybe the other secularization is more from, from the bottom up. In other words. People who are joining the military are extracted from our society, which, as you say, is is just becoming more secularized. So, so yes, we can kind of see it from from both ends. I think the answer, the, the bottom line answer, uh, is is today what it's always been. It's just that, that the holiness, pursue holiness, and to represent Christ, the world, even if they you know present a secular face, really does thirst for um, for what only Christ can. Give the sort of that, you know, those answers that piece. If you are if you are working on that and being a, a uh, trying to be a holy priest, I think that that's at the end of the day the answer. Do you find that the uh, rank and file who are influenced by secularization, maybe overly so, will come to you and uh, initiate conversations about your faith, or do they avoid the topic altogether generally? Um, well, as a chaplain, and that's what, what's the unique thing about being a chaplain, is that I talk with people of every faith and no faith at all, um, almost on a daily basis. So whereas a you know, parish priest, you can pretty much be talking to Catholics. I'm talking to a very wide range of, of people. So, um, so, But it is interesting that people do, at times, they specifically seek out that faith perspective. Two examples or two instances of the same example where I had people come to me and you know close the door and uh, and just ask me about what does the church teach about um, gay marriage, right? They, they, they wanted to they're they're coming from society which obviously is teaching something very different, but they wanted to hear what the church said about it. Um, they were and they were uh, they didn't want me to. They didn't, want, they didn't want the party line. They didn't want me to water anything down. They just wanted to hear what the church had to say. So, so I told them. I told them. We had just a, just a good, respectful conversation. And to be honest, I'm not sure what they did with that, but they, they wanted to hear it. Before you came to Quantico, you were on which ship? The USS Carl Vinson, an aircraft carrier. And that was out in the uh, Pacific uh, uh Vincent is based in San Diego, I believe, right? It is at the moment, uh, based at a Coronado in San Diego. And then when we deployed, we actually deployed um, to the Arabian Gulf region. And what was that like? That was very. That was a very uh, rich experience. That was my first my first tour in the Navy, and so there was a very um, um, and just on multiple levels getting to see how the military works in that situation, um, talking with sailors, hearing about their stresses, their relationship. You know, as you can imagine, their relationships come under all, all kinds of strains when there's this long-term, uh, relatively long-term separation. So it was very, 
very rich experience on, on multiple levels. And this was a six-month deployment, correct? It was almost 10 months. Oh, my gosh. And uh, were you actually in the Arabian or Persian Gulf, or did you stay outside in the Arabian Sea or come and go? No, we were, we were actually in the, in the, as you say, the, the North Arabian Gulf or the Persian Gulf, uh, whereas historically you know, Navy deployments or ship deployments have been about six months. We were actually on station there, so we were in the, in the Gulf for six months. And this was what years? 2014 into 15. And did you find the Iranian gunboats active and hostile toward U.S. Navy warships? They were at the time. They were. Um, there was definitely something that we were. The, the, the ships of our strike group were keeping a close a close eye on. Um, they never. I think they've been more aggressive towards some strike groups since. But uh, but that definitely they were active. And on each Navy warship at bedtime, a prayer is said by tradition. Correct. That's correct. Yep. At uh, the nine fifty five p.m. twenty one fifty five, there is an announcement uh, that goes throughout the uh, ship. The effect of tattoo tattoo lights out in five minutes. Stand by for evening prayer. And then then the the microphone is handed to the the chaplain whosever turn it is, and then the chaplain gives just a, basically a, maybe a 60-second uh, prayer. Well, that's encouraging to know that the Navy is keeping that tradition alive. It's, it, it's a beautiful tradition, yes, and I agree. It's, a, it's really it's a powerful thing, especially when people are far away from home. We had a lot of feedback that people really appreciated that prayer. And a aircraft carrier the size of the Carl Vinson is, what, about 5,000 sailors, right? So when the air wing is, is embarked and you have all the airplanes and all the, the people associated with them are on board, yeah, you have you can have up to about uh, 5,200 people. It's a floating city. It is. And typically, is. typically, how many chaplains would be on uh, a ship the size of the Vinson? So the the uh, the ship would have three uh, three chaplains who are ship's company, actually assigned to the ship. The air wing then typically brings another chaplain of its own. And so usually we had four chaplains. And you would take turns saying the evening prayer. That's correct. And daily mass too, right? So so daily mass, right? I was the only priest. So um, actually at the time I was the only priest on the entire, on the water in the entire Persian Gulf. So um, I would celebrate mass every day for our ship, Sundays obviously, but then also whenever we got close to uh, another ship who actually, who obviously they had no Catholic chaplains, even if they did have, happen to have a chaplain, uh, they would helicopter me to the other ships. Well, that must have been interesting. That was, that was. You know, people who, who would, you know, they, they were really missing home, and they really kind of were examining their faith, they're relying on their faith, and maybe, you know, maybe they haven't been to confession for a while, but man, that priest comes aboard, and they people really want to take advantage of it. So does uh, a, a a ship deployed to the uh, to the Gulf these days get any shore leave, or does that entire six to ten months get spent on the open water? No, thank goodness there is there is shore leave, and people definitely look forward to that. Um, so we had I think over the course of our of our uh, deployment we had seven we had seven port visits. And interesting places, I'm sure. 
Correct. So in the Gulf, we have uh, sort of kind of on the east side of the Gulf, we have uh, different you know, allies where we put in. So Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai is where the three places that we put in. What was it that uh, initially drew you to military service after you'd entered the seminary and started entertaining the idea? That's a that's a that's a great question. Um, my dad uh, was in the Air Force for four years, uh, during which time I was born. So I was actually born in England on an air base. Um, so and my dad always sort of infused into me and my my siblings a, a sense of patriotism and uh, and and I think love uh, for the for the country. Um, so I think there might have been sort of a combination of that and then the, an awareness of the, the critical need that existed in the military for especially Catholic priests. So, but aside from that, I just have to say that the call itself, because it's sort of like the call to priesthood, that once it showed up, it just never kind of went away. What would be your advice to the uh, young man out there listening to this, considering a vocation to the priesthood and chaplaincy? Well, I mean, uh, the vocation to the priesthood is, is that's primary. That's, that's going to be uh, sort of the, the, the foundation and the starting point. And then, uh, so if that's, if, that's your, if that's your call, then uh, it's, it's an incredible life. It's an incredible journey. And, you know, regardless of the chaplaincy. Um, chaplaincy, I think, is sort of a call within the call. And that... Um, that if somebody has that particular call, then it's a, it's, it is really is, um, I'm having a, it, it's, it's not always easy, but I'm having a fantastic time and really see how the, the impact you make. Um, there's, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing that you're serving your God and your country in that, in that order. What would be your response to those who might find it irreconcilable to uh, preach the good news of Jesus Christ, which is primarily a, a gospel of peace and service to one's country, which sometimes involves defending defending the country in war. Well, I think that that is the that's sort of the primary uh, distinction you're kind of getting at there that it is a ministry of of defense, and that even in the catechism it speaks of in the armed services as being uh, promoters of peace, and that's really what we're what we're about. The, I can tell you that, especially working with the Marines, people might find this surprising, but they are intense. They are intensely interested in in being ethical. They want to. You know, it's almost as if the military knows that it has this these means of of, of inflicting harm, and so there's a, there's an intense desire to be ethical and to be um, virtuous with regard to their their employment, so I think it falls actually pretty pretty easily within our our Catholic teaching and tradition. And I'm sure the chaplain plays a critical role in supporting that that uh, ethical concern. Absolutely, absolutely. Father Lieutenant Curtis Dwyer, uh, chaplain at uh, Marine Corps Base Quantico in Virginia. Thank you so much for talking to me. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>